0: 4, verses 1 to 34, examples of Solomon's wisdom. So King Solomon was king over all Israel. And these were the princes which he had. Azariah, the son of Zadok, the priest. Eli, Horeph, and Ahiah, the sons of Shisha, scribes. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, the recorder. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the host. And Zadok and Abiathar were the priests. And Azariah the son of Nathan was over the officers. And Zabud the son of Nathan was principal officer and the king's friend. And Ahishar was over the household. And Adoniram the son of Abda was over the tribute. And Solomon had twelve officers over all Israel, which provided victuals for the king and his household. Each man his month and a year made provision. And these are their names, the son of Hur in Mount Ephraim, the son of Dekar and Mekhez and, and in Shealbim and Beth Shemesh and Elon Beth Hanan, we're in verse 10 now, the son of Hesed and Aruboth, to him pertains Soko and all the land of Hefer, the son of Abinadab and all the rain <coughs> region of Dor, <coughs> which had Tephath, the daughter of Solomon, to wife. Beanna, the son of Ahilud, to him pertain Teatnak and Megiddo, and all Bethshean, which is by Zartena beneath Jezreel, from Bethshean to Abel-Meholah, even unto the place that is beyond Jachneim. Verse 13, the son of Geber and Ramoth-Gilead, to him pertain the towns of Jair, the son of Manasseh, which, is, which are in Gilead, to him also pertain the regions of Argab, which is in Bashan, Three score great cities with walls and brazen bars. Ahinadab, the son of Ido, had Mahanaim. Me- Ahimaaz was in Naphtali. He also took Basmath, Bath- the daughter of Solomon, to wife. Beanna, the son of Hushai, was in Asher and Eloth. Jehoshaphat, the son of Pe- uh, Parua, in Issachar. Shimei, the son of Elah in Benjamin. Geber, the son of Uri, was in the country of Gilead, in the country of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, he was was the only officer which was in the land. Verse 20, And Judah and Israel were many, as the sand which is by the sea, in multitude, eating and drinking and making merry. And Solomon reigned over all kingdoms." From the river unto the land of the Philistines and unto the border of Egypt, they brought presents and served Solomon all the days of his life. And Solomon's provision for one day was thirty measures of fine flour and threescore measures of meal, ten fat oxen, twenty oxen out of the pastures, and a hundred sheep besides hearts and roebucks and fallow deer and fatted fowl. For he had dominion over all the region on this side of the river, from Tifsa even unto Azzah, over all the kings on this side of the river, and he had peace on all sides round about him. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. And Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses, For his chariots, and twelve thousand horsemen. And those officers provided victuals for, for King Solomon and for all that came unto King Solomon's table. Every man in his month, they lacked nothing. Barley also and straw for the horses and dromedaries, brought they into the place where the officers were, every man according to his charge. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan, the Ezrahite and Heman, and Kalkol, and Darda, and the sons of Mahal. And his fame was in all nations round about. And he spake three thousand proverbs, and his songs were a thousand and five. And he spake of trees, from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. He spake also of beasts, and of fowl, and of creeping things, and of fishes. And there came of all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon, from all the kings of the earth which had heard of his wisdom. All right, so tonight we're going to look at examples of Solomon's wisdom. We're going to look at kind of in. Few different categories. The last one's kind of generic, but the first category is: we're going to see how Solomon is wise in, with his administration. Okay, we'll see how Solomon is wise with his abundance, and then we're going to see at the end. You see how Solomon is wise with all sorts of things. Okay, people and things. Have you ever? Have you ever done? I'll let you talk back to me if you want. If you got like a short little incident, have you ever done something? You're like, man, that was really wise. What I just did, that was really wise. You ever done something? Yeah, huh? yeah. It's gonna be really short, huh? Yeah. I saved five bucks at the store. You know. anybody ever done something like that? You know, there was a um, the I, I read. There's so many stories. I've read different stories of Charles Spurgeon. Some of them are so amusing. I kind of want to ask him in heaven one day. Did you really do that? You know, they hear all these things. Anyways, I did read this, and I couldn't find it in my files. But here's the gist of something that I read that he did that was interesting. He was he was very um, um, cerebral. He was pretty sharp and um, very, uh, I would say, wise. Well, he one time so his church he pastored what was called Metropolitan Tabernacle, I believe it was in London Baptist Church, and um, over hundred years ago, of course, almost one hundred fifty. And so in London, there there was actually an insane asylum not far from where his church was. And I read that one time, it was in the week, it was not during a service, it was like somebody had come, a guy had gotten out of the insane asylum, and he was violent. And he he got out, and he came to the church, and it was either the back of the auditorium or the foyer. I think, something tells me it was like some kind of foyer. And they actually had like carpet in there, and they don't usually have that type of stuff back then. I think they just had it in that area, that back area of the, like a foyer of his auditorium. And it was new, and it was like something really unique. And so, anyways, uh, some kind of fabric on the floor. So, anyway, Spurgeon's working. Somebody says, "Pastor Spurgeon, there's there's this guy in the coming in the church, and he says he's got it. He's got a knife, and he wants to kill people." And it was a guy that escaped out of this insane asylum. And um, and so he's not thinking. He's not in his right mind. Anyways, he's wacky and all kinds of you know what kind of. Um, Leading thoughts he will have, bipolar, whatever they want to call it. And so Spurgeon goes out and he, and he, he goes to the back and meets this guy. And this guy has this knife. He's like, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to kill everybody else. And I read that he did this. And he goes, he, he goes up to the guy and the guy's like, oh, he's kind of maddening, kind of on edge. just just, you know, not in his right mind. And he wants to kill people. And, and Spurgeon said, no, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. He goes, Yes, I can. He goes, No, you can't do that. Well, look, look at the carpet. You would look at our new carpet, you would get blood on our carpet. And the guy's like, Yeah. He goes, Come here, my friend. And he took him around. He goes, It's okay. Let's, let's, and he just kind of gently diffused the thing and walked the guy out. Meanwhile, they're trying to call police or whatever they were in London. And that's what they said he did. Now, he did some other unique things, so it doesn't surprise me. But I thought, that is an interesting way, a wise way of diffusing somebody that's very unstable. You know, their logic is unstable, so you kind of communicate to them from that angle. No, no, you can't do that. If They're not thinking clearly. They think, you're not allowed to kill people because you're going to stain the carpet. Not because you're going to take a life, but you're going to stain the carpet. And that's what clicked with him. You ever ever done something like, not like that, but you ever done something that was wise, like, boy, that was good. Maybe like when Solomon was there and the the two prostitutes come in and they're fighting over the baby and Solomon says, all right, cut it in half. And by saying cut it in half, he knew he was going to call out the real mama. And the real mama says, no, let her have it. And Solomon's like, that's the one, give it to her. You know, he was really sharp with that. I kind of wish I had that sometimes with my kids. You know, I've told you this before. Like one of my boys would come up and say, dad, he hit me. You know, and I'll be like, well, he, he," they'll tell me, he hit me. And and I'll say, you hit him? Why did you hit him? Because he stomped on my foot. Did he stomp on did you stomp on his foot? Yeah, because he pulled my hair. Did you pull his hair? Yeah, because he poked me in the eye. Did you poke him in the eye? I don't know who I'm talking to now. Yeah, and it's like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, I just want to take the heads and go, clunk, fix that, you know. You know, I can't, I'm like, I wish I could sort out some of these things sometimes, you know. And my wife got it simple. She's like, if anybody fights, everybody involved gets a spanking. She's just like, let's just brought everybody. <laughs> so they're like, no, don't anybody fight, you know. Um, but, when, you know, have you ever done something like man, that was good. That was a Solomon moment, you know. So I was like, I don't know. Anybody want to say something? You don't have to if you don't want to, but all right. My wife has some, but I know she does. One time I read about, there's an evangelist, Phil Schuler. I think he passed away a few years back, and he—I uh, remember hearing him in college preach. And he told one time he was so Phil Schuler was a—he was quite an athlete in sports. Um, I think years and years ago, maybe the Rams were after him years ago, but he didn't. But he was quite an athlete. He actually was in—he was either he was either Army or Navy, but I think it was the Navy. Um, uh, and no, the Army. And and anyways, he went into World War II and came out. And when he came out, he realized, you know, I I felt like he he wanted to go into ministry, and so he went to, and and enrolled at the time, I think it was Bob Jones College in Tennessee, at the time, I think it was in Tennessee, and so he went there, and and he was this guy, you know, athletic person that's uh, out of military and going to Bible school, and so on the weekend, he had to do ministry somewhere, you know, like door knocking somewhere and he said he was out and I remember I told this story he was out and it was like one of really his first times doing ministry knocking on people's doors talking to people knocking on people's doors and he said he knocked on one guy's door and this guy was pretty rough with him and he's like his mind is I'm gonna be rough man. I'm not gonna let this guy out rough me you know and plus the guy's dog kept coming to the door rah, 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 and all this and everything and and he was just like disturbed by it he's like and he felt like the guy was just trying to you know, uh, harass him back because he's just trying to talk to him about the Lord, talk to him about the gospel. The dog's barking. He's trying to get the dog to calm down. The man won't let the dog calm down. It was just kind of a mess. And so he ended up leaving there. It wasn't that that great of a conversation, but he ended up leaving. The guy shut the door, and um, Shuler walked out. I don't know if he did some more doors and came back, but he walked past this guy's backyard, and he said he saw the the dog in the backyard kind of a rough dog I don't know what kind of dog it was he's like you know what I, he did not want to, and he he was like the bulldog at this point like I'm gonna go back he's like I know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna go to the store and I'm gonna get like a I don't know he called it a ball of meat or something he said that you, you can go to a butcher and get some kind of scraps and they'll wrap it in all kinds of string or something he says I went and bought one of those and I went back to this guy's house, and I, and I saw the dog, and I threw, threw the meat thing over the, the backyard, and I let the dog eat, and I went and knocked back on the guy's door again. <laughs> and he said, I talked to the guy, I talked to the guy, I talked to the guy, I talked to the guy. He says, I was persistent. I wanted to win this guy to the Lord. And he said he won the guy to the Lord. It was a little more animated. than I remember there was more animation to what I'm telling you, but I just I don't have the whole text of this, but that's the gist of his example. I thought, that's pretty wise. He was wanting to get do anything he can to help. Read somebody who's wise. Solomon has, we hear of his prayer, right? He says, not as, it is a prayer in a sense. Solomon gains wisdom. What happens? Remember, there was a dream. He has this dream. The Lord shows himself to him in a dream. The Lord says, hey, Solomon, what do you want? Ask what you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon first says this. He brings out and he confesses of the blessings that he already has. God You have blessed me. You've blessed me in chapter 3. You've been good to my dad, and you've been so good to him that now look, my dad's son is on the throne, just like you said, and that's him. I'm on the throne. You've been so good to me. you blessed my dad. You've put one of his sons on the throne. It's me, and wow, I get to rule your people. So here's what he's saying. He goes, I got a major blessing. And now he says, I need a blessing to manage this blessing. That's what he's saying. I got a blessing from God, my dad, and being in the following the footsteps of my dad. Now I need a blessing to manage the heavenly blessing. God, I feel like a kid. I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to go back in. I don't, have to, I don't know how to begin to pull the strings and levers of doing the leadership uh, routines. I don't know what I'm doing. Can you therefore give thy servant a wise and understanding heart that I can rule thy people? This is so great of thy people. They're multiplying. Because of your people, so thank you for this position, but can you give me the additional blessing of managing this blessing? And God says, you got it. I'll give you the wisdom. Not only am I giving you the wisdom, I'm going to give you the wisdom beyond anybody else that's gotten wisdom from me. And not only that, I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for, which you didn't ask me for, the, the, the lives of your enemies or wealth, but I'm going to go ahead and give you that too. I'm going to give you some dominance and some abundance and so he gave that to Solomon and right after that chapter it shows the whole discerning the baby between the two harlots incident to show Solomon's wisdom and then it goes right into this chapter and we see Solomon's wisdom let's look at it where God put it in his word for us to, to ponder and to try to tie some applications to ourselves so the first thing let's notice he's wise the answer to prayer is true he's wise in his administration we're not going to read all of it because we read all these names that we Western Americans could not really relate with too many of these names. Like, I don't think I'm going to name my firstborn baby um, Geber, but um, maybe Gerber, uh, and get some of their baby food. But all these names, what is this? You know what this is? This is Solomon's cabinet. This is his staff. You know what happens when you get a new president? What does he do? You know what happens in the first few weeks of the presidency, everybody, oh, the president appointed so-and-so, the to be the Secretary of State, they wanted so and so to this person to be their chief of staff, and they and we start hearing as the weeks and months go by who the president appoints, and then they end up getting fired, or they end up saying, "I'm tired of working for this guy" or whatever. But anyways, that's what Solomon does. So Solomon is the king, and you know what he does? He starts appointing people to to positions in his cabinet. He has he coalesces a good staff. He delegates. He's wise in his administration. We show how he's wise in his administration by broadening the responsibility of what he's doing. So here he is. Here's Solomon, king of Israel. Israel is multiplying lots and lots of people. And now Solomon's got to be the leader of all these people. So he's like, God's going to give me wisdom. So he somehow this first point of wisdom is, you know what? That guy is really good at overseeing the army. That guy is good at uh, being a recorder. This guy, where else is there? Uh, this person's good. Uh, the print. This is what I want for the. I want for the uh, uh, the, the 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 priests. They're going to maintain their office. I need somebody over my household. This guy would be great to just manage my household affairs. And he was putting people in place that were competent and that could bear the responsibility with him in a in a responsible way, instead of him doing it all himself. That's one of the challenges of anybody that's got any kind of responsibilities you, or leadership. You, you take it on, then you start thinking, oh, I got to do this, and I got to do this. And you start like, bearing it all on yourself, even in something as small as running an own household. You know, In our in your household, if you have children, they should start, as soon as you can, start delegating to them. All right, you need to clean here. We're going to teach you how to do some laundry here. Um, and things. Like, We're going to teach you how to do the lawn. Delegate your responsibility. We're not, we're not king over a nation, but some of us, we just have a little group of people. We have a family, and it does them a favor, and it does you a favor when you wisely administer and delegate out responsibility. That's what he's doing. Uh, even in this little church here, I mean, there's still a lot of things that need to be done, could be done, just to the property, besides ministry work that could be done, and people to call, and upgrading of you know, websites and all this other stuff. There's so many things constantly that can be done. And I'm always thinking, who would be good at this? Who would be good at that? Who could I send on this call? Who? And I'm constantly thinking who I could get it out to, not just so that I don't have to bear it, but also that you have the privilege of being able to extend ministry more. You know? And so if pastor's asking you to do things, it's not because I want more leisure time. It's because I want our church, the roots, to keep broadening out and our branches to go out as well and to be more fruitful it's good to get out we're always training new some new teenager to mow josh is mowing now he's doing the riding lawnmower jimmy and already knows it john used to do it he can do it anytime it's like it started with michael i remember my son michael years ago he was 11 i was like all right I, i i had a hard time getting some adult men to help me with this so i was like michael you're doing the riding lawnmower. he's 11 all right put him on there i had to teach him the riding lawnmower And, uh, you know, some of the guys could do it when they had time, but there was times where I I couldn't get anybody to help me. So we'd teach Michael, then Gideon, then Johnny, now Jimmy, and then Josh is learning a little bit. And I think some kids just want to learn it because they want to act like they're driving. But, um, and then, you know, this thing even cleaning and and teaching and all that other stuff. Um, I'm I'm actually trying to, uh, I'm going to go, we talked about a leadership conference today, but I'm, Lord willing, going to go to one in Tennessee in a few weeks at... uh, um, temple baptist church crown and crown college they uh pastor um, um pastor sex clarence sexton has a, a national leadership conference and i'm going to go to that and try to meet some pastors i'm trying to find an assistant somewhere and so we're doing that and see if we can make some content to, to help have somebody help us here to help reach more people and shepherd who we have all right. So, broadening the So what is the wisdom of Solomon? Here's what he's doing. He's he's putting competent people in place. Not only that, by broadening the responsibility, but also by not being oppressive. Now, some of us we didn't catch this, but if you look at verses 7 to 19, you know what that's about? It's an it's a, it's about really like a taxing. Yeah. And what he's doing is <clears throat> Well, look at the last verse. Verse 6 says uh, Adoniram the son of Abda was over the tribute. And then it says, verse 7, Solomon had 12 officers over all Israel, which provided victuals for the king and his household. Every man his month in a year made provision. This was like a tax. They taxed through um, uh, grain, and tribute came through, through grain. So imagine this. Israel is divided up into 12 regions. It was primarily tribes. And so Solomon said, you know what, everybody's everybody's going to pay uh, for the cost of uh, supporting the royal court and the central government. So here's what he did. He didn't make one tribe pay for the whole year. He made one tribe do one month, another tribe do another month, another tribe, and he said, okay joe you're going to be over this time i'm making up the name fred you're going to be over this tribe and you're going to make sure they bring in the 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 grain and the tax and whatever and um asher whoever the next guy you're going to be on this month in this area and you're going to go over there and you're going to make sure that they they all give of their amount of it's taxing and so what he's doing is he's doing it in such a way so that it's not oppressive it's one twelfth of the labor Uh, the load is spread out per region spread out per region it's not like you know we we have weird political ideas in this country where we just want to just you know we're going to make the the rich you know pay their fair share if everybody paid their fair share it should be a percentage (laughs) right if everybody paid their fair share it should be a percentage that's how the tithe is that's how a tax ought to be Well, I think that's what Solomon's doing. He's saying everybody do their part for their month. But what he's doing is he's not being oppressive on their wealth. He's not cleaning them out. They're making a lot, so let's just just wipe out the wealth of each region or each tribe. He's taking a sample of it to support the central government, and then they can go their way. Look what it says in verse 20. Judah and Israel were many, as the sand which is by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and making merry. It says that on the heels of describing their taxation. Apparently, it wasn't too bad. It even says in verse 25, Judah and Israel dwelt safely, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. It's saying that he he taxed people and he got his government, government funded and his court funded and people in place, but he didn't do it to where he just oppressed them. He did it in measure. All right? He didn't disturb the prosperity, which really leads, we don't lead to the next point. But also, notice something else that he did in his ministration that was wise. I think it is. It's not a dominant point, but it says it twice. It says something interesting twice from verses 7 to 19. (laughs) You basically have a bunch of IRS workers. Okay? Nobody likes IRS workers. I don't know how they thought in that day, but nevertheless, it's a guy. All right, he's got to go to this tribe. Hey, guys, it's your month to pay. And everybody's like, oh, that guy's here again. You know? And so they had to collect it and get it in and take it back to Jerusalem. And same, another person had to do the same. So so what does Solomon do? He has a couple family members helping him, two sons-in-law. Look at verse 11. The son of Abinadab in all the region of Dor, which had Tepha, the daughter of Solomon, to wife. Hey, he gets a, he gets a son-in-law involved. Maybe that's where his son-in-law's family was anyways. So that there's already a kind of a family connection, some favor, and he's using it to, to help on something that not everybody likes to do. Not everybody likes to pay taxes. He had another son-in-law. Look at this, verse 15. Amenahaz was in Naphtali. He also took Bath, Basmath, the daughter of Solomon, to wife. So here's another guy. Another, got a couple sons. Hey, you guys go in there. And it, there's something about it where it broadened a little bit of the of the favor, I think, with the people through his sons in law. Now, I know that can be taken too far and you can exploit things by having family connections. I understand that. But I think on this note, it was in measure and it was wise. All right, so he's wise in his administration. So we need to think of how, you know, we can be wise and God gives me a few people to manage, a few things to manage, or whatever, that I learn how to delegate and manage people whom I've delegated and help them, like Solomon, and not be be oppressive as well. Uh, Number two, so he's wise also with his abundance. Now, verses 20 to 28 describe some interesting types of abundance. Man, there's a lot of food here. First, it starts with verse 20. We, We talked about it a little bit already. Verse 20 describes the economy is just booming, and so is the population. Judah and Israel were many as the sand which is by the sea in multitude, eating, drinking, and making merry. It's describing this, the, there's a lot, there's a population boom and um, a robust population growth, times of prosperity. That's what verse um, 25 was describing. Look at it again. We already looked at it earlier. Judah and Israel dwelt safely, every man under his vine under and under his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba. Beersheba all the days of Solomon, what is that saying? Dan, the northernmost part of the official region of Israel, to Beersheba, the southernmost part, the whole central part of the population, everybody was prospering. And everybody was enjoying it. There was some peace. There was prosperity. There was population growth. And he was wise with this abundance. He didn't ruin it. You know, our United States presidents are always funny. One president comes in the office and he takes credit for, you know, the economy. And then as he leaves, he sees the next guy kind of plunder. and says, look at them, man, he rushing all up. You know, and they all do that. We're both Democrats and Republicans, and they start kind of blame shifting. And the one guy that comes in and it goes bad, he blames the guy because uh, it was going bad when he was in the presidency. And they always play these games. Now watch this with David. Sergeant, sorry, with Solomon, he is becoming king. It's like, man, he's got favor with all these countries. What's going on? He's got favor with uh, in the population growth. And it, you'll see some other things, his exploits of uh, importing and exporting and all kinds of stuff. But even early on, there's a population growth, there's prosperity, people are happy. What happened? Everybody around the... Uh, he's already dominating. Look at verse 21. Solomon reigned over all kingdoms from the river unto the land of the Philistines and under the border of Egypt. They brought presents and served Solomon all the days of his life. Now, wait a second. I I didn't get my map up here. But if you can imagine Israel, what you know, classic Israel, it basically was extended more south and extended more north. It was almost doubled in size. And it was over other kingdoms. He didn't do any wars. He didn't do anything. You know what he did? He inherited the peace that his dad fought and won for. David was a man of war. He was always fighting and winning a lot. He was fighting here and fighting there and fighting here and fighting there. And and then when people, sometimes after a while, people are like, we're not fighting him anymore. We'll just be under tribute with you. And David's, most of Solomon's kingdom was basically, it went a little beyond David, but most of the early part was just, what David, his dad, had won. His dad had won the peace. By His dad had fought and won the peace and Solomon comes in and has to manage it. He already has favor with these other kingdoms. He already's being peace in the land and God's blessing it because they're putting away some of the enemies. And so what is he doing? He's managing, wisely managing the abundance that was given to him. You know, sometimes God gives you some abundance, and you have to wisely manage it. Or maybe a parent that gave you a gift. I got a car when I was 16, a 1966 El Camino, and I'm like, this is a gift. I didn't earn this, and I had to wisely manage it. Um, Some of you, maybe you've got an inheritance or you're going to get an inheritance. Wisely manage that, something that your parents... Maybe a parent or a dad started a business, was prosperous, why, he managed his or her money wisely, and as they pass away, they pass it along to you. Hey, don't look at it like easy come, easy go. Uh-uh. Somebody worked hard for that. Manage it wisely. That's what Solomon's doing. He's managing the favor, the abundant favor. He's managing abundant peace. He's managing abundant popularity there. Look what it says there. <laughs> look at verse 22. There's a lot of... Um, yeah it's doing pretty good solomon's provision for one day was 30 measures of fine flour and three score measures of meal i did not get narrow that down but it's like hundreds of gallons of grain a day in flour hundreds of gallons of flour fine flour a day and then look at all the oh man you talk about a brazilian steakhouse look at this verse 23 10 fat this is every day Provision for one day, 10 fat oxen. Now that's the best one right there. They didn't go anywhere. They sat in their pen and went, that's it, man. Corn fed or something. They were, And then there were some in the pasture, you know, some in the pastures, uh, in case you want the grass fed and you do not trust of the other stuff they're feeding in verse 23, the 10 fat oxen, the 20 oxen out of the pasture every day. A hundred sheep besides the hearts hearts and roebucks and fallow deer and fatted fowl. Now that says a couple things. It says, man, that was good. I'd like to go to that Brazilian steakhouse right there. But it also says Israel's wildlife must be doing pretty good too. I mean, that's a lot. I mean, the animal rights people would be pulling their hair out. But apparently there was enough that it was like, it's okay. It's part of the pantry in the wilderness we can take from that God made. It was abundant, and he's wise with it. Obviously, he's feeding his household, the headquarters of his government. I think there's extra there because you know what else is happening in Solomon's household? You got kings and queens coming to visit and people from all over the place coming to see him. And We want to see this so-called wise man. They come in the court like, whoa, that's some fat chicken right there, turkey, beef. No pigs, but anyways, you know they 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 they're going in, and he's impressing them people every day with this, and he's feeding well his staff and his family. It's it's really a lot, and it's just it's describing luxury. He's wise with his abundance. He's wise with the peace that was won. By the way, think about this. On a note, thinking about Jesus Christ. Um. ever think about the fact that you have no problem with God if you're saved it's good with you if you're saved you're like I trusted Jesus as my Savior I put all my faith in him you know what you got peace with God that was otherwise a big problem it's a big problem to not have peace with God it's a big problem to be in my sin it's a big problem to be unsaved Jesus said he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life he that believeth not the Son shall not see life but the breath of God abides on him it's hovering over him like a cloud." But when I'm saved, I have peace with God through my Lord Jesus Christ. God, Jesus Christ won the peace for me. So between me, even, even as a child, as a Christian, and I fumble around, God looks at me as a, as a parent to, to correct me. I don't have a, some kind of hostile thing between me and God. The hostility has been set aside. It's been, it's been put away, the enmity between God and I and you. He won, Jesus won the peace for me. I get to live with... now. The peace with God. Now, I need to have peace of God inside my heart, but peace with God we have. Isn't that great? Jesus is a picture of David in that sense for us. Number three, he's wise with all sorts of other things. (laughs) Verse 29 to 34. So he's wise with his abundance in verse number two, and then number three, all sorts of other things and people. Look what it says. God gave Solomon wisdom and wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart even as the sand that is on the seashore you know that largeness of heart i kind of i relate with it more nowadays how many of you are ever like this You're like i just can't don't tell me one more thing i can't handle it how many of you like that you you watch the news you listen to your family you go to church you listen to people's problems you talk to your neighbor talk to your parent you're like okay and at the end don't tell me another thing just stop stop I don't want to. How many of you like that? Information overload? Oh, just two of you. Okay. So I'm going to keep talking all night. All right. You get, get overload in school, right? A little bit. Like I'm done with school. I just can't learn. My brain's going to burst. You know? You know we all get that, right? It's, I, Solomon didn't have that. That's, he says he had largest of hearts. He's like, I can take it all in. Read all the encyclopedias. Whoa. This says God gave him that. He gave him wisdom exceed and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart. He had a gigantic capacity to deal with all sorts of people and massive amounts of information. Whoa. God gave him that. Largeness of heart. And so, his, and then it starts naming people. We don't know who Ethan the Ezraite is and these other men, He-Man and uh may and Dart. he says he was wiser than all them all the people in egypt and he's wiser than all of them he outwised all the other ones god made it that way that's what the bible says verse 32 he's he's wise with it god made him wise largest of heart and then in particular look what it says verse 32 proverbs he spake three thousand proverbs that would be about one that'd be the book of Proverbs is about I think one third of that, I think it's around a thousand but he spake more than that, Proverbs are those little tweets, divine tweets that I really have something to say and posts that are inspired of God, he spake three thousand Proverbs, that means see a proverb is a short statement that's so good, people keep saying it you know we make short statements like, ah that was junky, whatever But Proverbs means he said something short and concise. I was like, ooh, that was good. I keep saying 3,000 of them. He was wise in that he could communicate truth in bite-sized bits that people can relate with. And then it says songs. I didn't know this except the Song of Solomon. Verse 32, his songs were 1,005. Whoa. He at least wrote them. I wonder if he sang them too, like his dad. 1,005 songs, you know. Man, if I wrote, I remember one time, I wrote a little chorus one time, and it like took me everything I could to do that. You know, I thought I was a, really good. But it took me a lot to write a little chorus one time and attune to it. Three, or what is it, 1,005. Wow. That's of God. Not only that, this guy, this guy is a naturalist in a good sense. Look what it says, verse 33. He spake of trees. From the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. It's talking about botany and different type, different things in nature of growing, and and uh, you got the cedar tree, well known, all the way down to the smaller thing that's growing. The hyssop that springeth out of the wall. What else does it say? He spake of beasts and of fowl and of creeping things and of fishes. How many of you ever, my boys would be like, Dad, they'll get my they'll get my phone like, show me the biggest catfish ever caught, you know, to Google. And they'll say some big cat, you no, know, almost caught a big catfish today. And it got off the line, it was big. And so someone would go, Dad, I'm gonna see your phone, let's show me the biggest catfish ever caught, you know. And they want to see that. And and Solomon would know the nature of some of those things. He would understand, I mean, what can we say? He spake of them, spake of beasts, spake of fowl, spake of creeping things, spake of fishes. Now, it's got to be different than the average Fred in Israel. Like, I know what a fish is. I know what a beast is. It was beyond that. He knew different types of beasts. He knew their nature. He knew how to maybe hunt them. He knew where they were. He knew all kinds of, so much so that people were like, I want to go see this guy. He was a human Google search. That's what he was. He's he, zoology, history, botany, discerning the secrets and nature of animals and mankind. Musically, he was wise with literature, the, the, the Proverbs. And it says he was an international attraction. Verse 34, there came of all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth, which had heard of his wisdom. Now, again, so whatever, again, he's speaking of animals. He's speaking of things in nature. He's speaking, why? Now look, we, I could jump in a plane and go somewhere in three or four hours be hundreds of miles away. Like, yeah. But if they did that, it was an ordeal to travel afar from one place to another. It took months to get somewhere. And if you're going to do it, they're going to do it for a good reason. To hear a guy talk about animals and trees and flowers and human nature, and yep, there was something so profound and valuable in his wisdom it was an international attraction and god gave him that by the way i me just stop this sometimes isn't said enough did you know one of the reasons and i don't remember where it's at but it's in the old testament maybe isaiah one of the reasons that god said he was going to bless israel and help israel you know one of the reasons was to be a light for the gentiles that's why I wanted to just brighten you up so the Gentiles will will come to thy brightness and learn of the God of Israel and be saved. God wanted, so God was making him not just for himself wise, but for the nation to be a bright testimony. And what happens? The Queen of Sheba comes in, she's floored by everything. And we'll get to that. And remember in in the book of Acts, who gets saved? One of the early proselytes there from another country is. This man from Ethiopia, maybe there was already some kind of tradition going on there about saying there's a real thing going on in Israel. God wanted to bless Israel to make him a light to the Gentiles. So what's happening? Solomon's wise, it becomes an international attraction. It's really for God's glory. So let's conclude with two things that we can relate with, two things as we close. Number one, if I am wise and if I'm getting wisdom from God, then somehow, some way it should show. If I'm getting wisdom from God, I don't have enough here, the the points. If God, if I'm getting wisdom from God, somehow, some way it should show. It should show that, hey, I'm a Daniel in my Babylon world. Remember Daniel? Remember the whole context, Daniel and teenager and these other guys? They're in the court. They're enveloped in paganism. They're forced to work under this tyrant king. And they behave themselves wisely. And they are wise such that they're like, you know what? These guys are different. These an excellent spirit in and Daniel. And if, and if you and I show, even if it's ever so small points of wisdom, it should it should show and should be a testimony to others to where people are like, what is, how come you do this and not that? How come you treat me this way when everybody else treats me such and such way? Little points of wisdom, God wants to give us for his glory. So all people come to eventually hear of the great, Ultimate Solomon, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the next point. Christ, to, uh, the second thing to conclude on is, Christ, we've said this, and you can't stop saying it. Christ is the ultimate Solomon. He's the ultimate Solomon. Let me give you some examples. Well, let me, tell let me ask you, how is Jesus? How is Solomon like Jesus in this or anything else? How is Solomon like Jesus here? Remember, the whole scripture is talking about Jesus in any place. He's a shadow of Jesus. How is it? Anybody? Wealthy? Yeah, he's wealthy. Even though Jesus, though he was rich, made himself poor to come to this earth, walk the dust of the earth, die for our sins, but he's still wealthy. You know, the Bible says that my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Jesus is wealthy. He owns everything. Solomon is so wealthy. How else is Solomon like Jesus? Jesus, he is Lord, and he's Lord of all, but it'll be fully manifested in everybody's eyes when he rules the earth in the thousand-year millennium. He will rule, and there'll be peace, and we're going to have peace under our fig tree and vine, or whatever it will be. I wouldn't mind some figs, even in the next world. It'll be like that. And we'll enjoy peace. It's because he won the peace for us, even on the earthly sense. Christ is the ultimate Solomon in that he's wealthy, in that he will be all over the ruling the world and that people from all over the world will actually come to see him in Jerusalem. Jesus is like Solomon. Listen to this, in that he has largeness of heart. Isn't that right? Okay, so Solomon, he can handle there telling him one thing, telling him another thing, tell him another. He's just managing. He's like taking it in, managing it, processing it, where I'd be like, I'm done, guys. Good night. Good night. He had largeness of heart. I think it's also talking about his awareness. Jesus, is he not aware? Does he not have largeness of heart? He knows every man. Nobody, I mean, Jesus got physically tired and all that. But you know what Jesus said? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I mean, I couldn't say that. Hey, everybody come to me if you're tired. <laughs> uh, no, you know, I can only handle a few. Jesus has largeness of heart. He is, uh, you know, him that, he that cometh to me, he says, I will no wise cast out. And then Jesus is wise. He's wiser, of course, than all. Solomon was wise. He knew. He could speak of the tree. He could speak of the flower. He could speak of the animal. Speak of the mice. He could speak of the lice. He could tell you how many hairs are on you. He could speak of everything. Solomon like Solomon, could do some of that. Jesus could. He knows all things. In fact, He created all things, and by Him, all things consist. Jesus is the ultimate Solomon. He knoweth all men. And so, trusting Him, of course, is really what's wise not just say wow solomon's really cool we can learn points of wisdom from him but trusting in the ultimate solomon and walking with the ultimate solomon who is jesus christ is the most wise thing we could do